Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Okay, welcome back to the Kickstart Garage. I am your host, Gavin Quigley. Um, unfortunately, today I won't be joined by my co-host, Sam Byrne. But the good news is, on today's show, I am joined by Charlie Gleason. Charlie's the founder of Zip Mobility, which is an Irish company with a focus on dockless scooters. So during 2020, Charlie managed to secure 1.1 million euro in seed investment. He grew the team from one to 20 people, launched in three locations in the UK with four more planned by the end of Q1 in 2021, I believe, um, a six-figure monthly recurring revenue stream and completed 16,000 journeys in the first six weeks. So it's definitely been a, a pretty incredible journey so far. Um, so before we get into Zip Mobility, Charlie, could you give us a, a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I don't know how much there is to say, I guess, but um, yeah, look, I, I was um, I was a bit of a messer in school, like a lot of people. Uh, probably just a little bit on the immature side. Um, I, yeah, it's just yeah, kind of was a bit of a messer. Got about three hundred points in my leaving cert. Uh, went into a level six in DIT, um, and yeah, I kind of failed the first year, like a, a lot of people do, I, and then I kind of, I suppose. About halfway through the level six, I kind of realized, like, you know, this isn't like school anymore. If you fail your exams, you don't really get to the next year, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I kind of copped on a little bit. And then, you know, it was the first time I kind of realized, oh, I can pass exams if I if I actually attend the class. And, uh, yeah, so from there, yeah, I guess I, I got through my exams in first year through it with lots of repeats and stuff like that. And then I got into second year college and, you know, I kind of had a bit of a buzz from passing the exams for the passing exams for my first time ever in first year uh, so I just gave it a good old whack then in second year and uh, yeah so I suppose that's when I kind of copped on a little bit and um, it did okay and then I actually after my second year of college I actually went back to school and repeated uh, maths because um, I needed a minimum grade in, in maths and leaving cert to then get into UCD so I did that got into UCD did a BCom uh, and it was at that stage I kind of yeah I think I said this before I kind of convinced myself that I wanted to be an accountant then because like you know in BCom a lot of people kind of want to be accountants and uh, I, I, you know nothing wrong with it but uh, just very different to anything I ever imagined myself doing Um, you know I, I never did in school or anything like that Um, so yeah then I kind of you know I loved DIT and uh, I thought it was there was a great entrepreneurial spirit in DIT, a lot of practical work and things like that. And uh, I think I kind of lost that a little bit in UCD, like obviously, you know, a lot of other benefits and I, I upskilled in a lot of other areas, but that was definitely one thing I kind of felt like I lost. So I was in my final year in DIT and I had, um, or in UCD, sorry. And uh, I had been awarded a contract in Deloitte to start an audit, which was great. Um, but it was kind of niggling at me that maybe that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. And, um, so yeah and then it was about halfway through final year of college and I kind of saw this scooter sharing industry um and I saw the growth and scale of the industry I saw some of the major players sorry for those of you who don't know scooter sharing is like uh it's an e-scooter rental service um and the way it works is you download an app 
uh, you locate your nearest scooter, um, like they'll be dotted around your town. Uh, you scan the QR code located on the scooter, and then you ride to your destination. So I thought this was a fascinating idea, um, and I kind of it's similar to Dublin bikes, except not dockless, and uh, or it, it is dockless. It doesn't have docks, and and it's very like uh, yeah, and, and scooters, I guess. So I was fascinated by the level of growth that some of these companies had, and I was also fascinated by the really really high levels of demand. So the uptake for these things was so much more than bicycles, and I just thought that was so cool. So uh, there was a college assignment that I had, and the college assignment was like, um, you know, what business would you bring to Ireland and why? And I said, look, this is a good chance to kind of learn a little bit more about the industry and, and take it a little bit seriously with a, a college assignment. So um, I started doing that, and then I was like, wow, this is actually a runner. And um, then I quickly realized that the legislation wasn't quite there in Ireland. Um, and then I was like, oh, geez, this is, you know, where a lot of people would kind of say, OK, well, there's no opportunity there if the legislation isn't there. I knew enough about the industry and you could see countries like Paris get, you know, scooters coming to Paris. You could see com- uh, countries like Germany legalizing e-scooters. And like it was a no brainer. E-scooters were going to be legalized in Ireland. So I just thought that this was a good opportunity, like with the legislation lagging. It was a good opportunity for me to kind of get my ducks in a row uh, and get a business plan together, you know, source hardware, all that kind of thing, get an app up and running. Um, and I thought, yeah, once I got all those things together, I'd be in a really good position uh, to win licenses when the legislation changed. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it all kind of, well, that's where the idea came from, I guess. Yeah, it's deadly here and that, you know, because I, I did Commerce City UCD as well. I know exactly what you mean. You're kind of, you're told about the big four. Everyone talks about them and you're either going to be like a management consultant or you're going to be an accountant. You're going to be one or the other. That's how I felt anyway. And you kind of feel like you're being forced into something. So I definitely, uh, I can relate to you in that sense. But um, let, let's rewind a, a little bit there because you've touched on a few really interesting things. Uh, I first of all, I want to just congratulate you on, on the incredible success you've had with Sit Mobility thus far. What you've achieved, I suppose, in, in terms of the raised capital to date, is it's not short of extraordinary. And uh, it's not only a testament to the hard work you put in, but also uh, it's a source of inspiration for young Irish entrepreneurs who are listening. And so I suppose one of the first questions would be, did you always have a plan growing up to eventually start your own business? Did you have any other entrepreneurial endeavors before Zip Mobility? Um, sorry, thank you very much for, for all of those kind words. Um. You know what Zip has been to far so far has definitely been you know a group effort. Um, I'm one person as 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 you said of a twenty person team, uh, and everyone plays their part. Um, I just so I I just happen to be the first one, but like yeah, like it's it's amazing. I think our team are really really strong and uh, yeah, really excited to to for where we can bring it. Um, yeah. So have I always kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yes, definitely. Um, but. You know, in terms of, you know, there's so many people that want to be entrepreneurs, but in terms of action, I never really, you know, had that many actual endeavors, if that makes sense. You know, I always had, oh, this is a great idea. And I'd say it to my mates in the pub or I'd say it to my mates in school or whatever. Uh, but like I never really acted on it too much, I suppose. The first time I ever acted on a, on a business idea was uh, with a couple of other guys. Um, and this is the most Blackrock College story you could ever imagine. I was in first year. I was 13. And um myself and a few of my pals a couple of my pals uh it was when cantos were really in like canterbury tracksuit bottoms and uh there we just had this idea that we would take people's cantos or you know people would give them to us we wouldn't just take them uh and we would get um their initials um like embroidered on on the cantos with a crest of their choice 
Um, so yeah, I suppose that was actually a decent sized business. Like for 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 that age, like we were, we probably had like we had hundreds of customers. Like for which was was wasn't too bad for age um age thirteen or whatever. And it was actually we did it with the school, so we got the school support. But the downside to that was that we had to give all the proceeds to charity. But uh, there's not a downside. But when you're thirteen, it was kind of like a uh, first time we ever had, had ever had a few quid. But yeah, that was the first thing. Second thing was uh, I applied for the Dragons Den when I was in transition year. Now never got past the business plan, but I remember I wanted to do a start a, a surf tour company. So surfing was a massive passion of mine from age like ten to sixteen, I guess, or even younger. Um, and I wanted to start pretty much like a travel agency for uh, surf tours for school and college. Um, yeah, never really got past like you know had a few uh, hostels and stuff lined up, but never really acted on it. Never did a tour then moving on a few years when I was about 21 and my next business idea which I actually probably not the furthest I brought something because I I never made any money or never really you know tried to raise investment on or whatever but I was meeting people going out there meeting people about you know what is the best way to do this and trying to get advice it was a um, management software for uh, freelance makeup artists and so it would be a way where you could like nearly gamify the you know freelance makeup industry um it'd be a way where like you could just get your location and and see what freelancers are in your area and the idea would be that if you actually can start playing them off each other um sorry making it sound like they're not people (laughs) but if you if you create a, a slightly more competitive atmosphere where it's not just based on how many followers you have on instagram uh you could probably drive the price down you know you if you increase supply like I would imagine that you could actually drive the price down of uh, getting your makeup done. So that was an idea um, that I had. Yeah, I never really took it anywhere. So I just wasn't exactly passionate about, uh, you know, makeup or anything like that. Um, and look, yeah, there was a lot of questions as to whether people would actually pay for it. A lot of questions around if influencers would go on it because, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe tax implications or whatever. But uh, yeah, that, that was, there. I suppose, yeah. So I've had a few kind of, half our ideas i guess but this is the first one i've, I've kind of went full back bash at you're yeah it, it's interesting hearing the little stories i suppose along your journey because i'd imagine there's there's probably little kernels of knowledge and little mistakes that you make that you pick up and you probably don't realize that they play a part but they all go into your understanding of how business works and, and how you start planning so it's i always love hearing little stories like that and they, they give other people inspiration listening as well you can tell you've, you've just got an entrepreneurial brain um I wanted to ask you, Charlie, you know, a common theme with entrepreneurs is just, you know, work, 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 hustle, 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 the kind of Gary V mentality. Um, the more the more you put in, the more you get out, that kind of thing. And I'm sure you're you're flat out juggling everything at the moment. But now that you've got a team around you, now that you're starting to scale, um, what does a day in the life look like for, for Charlie Gleason at Safe Mobility? Do you get much time off or are you just flat out every day? Um, I haven't really taken much time off in the last kind of I, t- I took a decent break for Christmas everyone in Zip did um, but I suppose the, my day has changed massively and like you know in the last few months so just to, sorry just to take you back a little bit so I finished college in 2019 I'd been working for about for uh, on Zip for about four months before I finished college then I finished college and I went straight into working on Zip full-time um, obviously for free and I was kind of working in bars on the weekend um, so a day in the life of that was very much like um you know during the day i was putting you know the ceo hat on like it was only me in the company but like i during the day i was putting the ceo hat on so i was going out meeting people meeting prospective investors 
meeting potential software partners or, and, and things like that or wh- whatever it might be analytics uh, anyone that could potentially help building this new scooter sharing company that was different from all of our competition and then you know obviously out of every meeting comes action points you know follow-ups and you know okay i'll, I'll do that for you and i'll I'll, uh, I'll get back to you so i do a nine to five nine to six of, of meetings and then in the evening i'd put my uh you know pa hat on or, or you know just my you know normal worker hat on and i'd actually do all the things that i said someone in zip would do if that makes sense so like you were kind of working you're very much working two jobs um and that was intense um and yeah like but see it was kind of i suppose in those early stages so that was i was doing that from um from full time from may 2019 until uh may 2020 so like yeah a full 12 months um before we got any investment before we got uh any other people on board so yeah that was fairly tough uh, and it just means like if if you're not performing one day the whole company's not performing if you get me um, so there's kind of that added pressure of like not being able to take your foot off the gas a little bit. Um, but now it's very different. You know, now, as I said, we kind of grew our team from one to 20 within six months. And, you know, putting structure on that was was really important. It was very messy at the start. You know, uh, you know different people were being told, being pulled in two or three different directions. And, you know, it was just a little bit messy for a week or two. Um but we were employing multiple people nearly a week, like so. Uh, that was a little bit messy, but I suppose a day in the life for me at the moment is very much managing people uh, and communicating with people and making sure that everyone else in the team has the resources and has all the answers that they need to keep moving with their roles. Does that make sense? So, like, it's kind. Of, I've definitely got this um, mentality where, like, a leader isn't someone that. Uh, barks orders from the front and just you know shouts back at the rest of the team and keeps running forward like i definitely think uh you should lead from behind i definitely think you should be picking people up and helping people out and and, and being close enough to your team where you can spot when someone's having an off day or an off week um, and and very much understanding that every single person is different understanding that every single person is motivated by different things and understanding you know one person might be very financially driven some people uh you know appreciate their free time a lot more and that needs to be respected um so yeah i think um the, you know being extremely productive is really important in in the in the first in the first instance in the first you know when you're by yourself starting a business but as your team grows and as your team scales uh different things become important um you know emotional intelligence uh, empathy self-awareness they're extremely important well they're extremely important all the time but especially when you're managing other people um you know it's not about you know your skills and financial modeling anymore or you know uh, your your ability to write long essays it very much becomes how can you uh, motivate people how can you have difficult com- conversations and keep people motivated um, so yeah it kind of changes a little bit uh, as the team grows you you sound very similar i suppose to some of the, the big ceos that you listen to from like you you, you look at the the companies that go out that are like uh you know the best places to work or the most enjoyable places to work the likes of you know salesforce hubspot the big kind of tech companies and stuff like that it, it sounds quite similar i suppose it just comes down to to people at the end of the day that's what an organization is you forget about the cloud and the software and the moving parts at the end of the day it's just how people interact and communicate with each other so it's, it's refreshing it is like we're kind of lucky i suppose you know that's the thing like from going from like you know graduate to like to to start up founder if that makes sense 
I didn't, I wasn't exposed to, you know, 10, 15 years of just like corporate structure bullshit, if you get me. So it was like, you know, you're a graduate and all you're thinking about is like, what kind of job would I love? And then when you're like, you're going straight into like a founder where you can shape the culture, um, you know, in 2020 and you know that you can have a workplace and you can make it whatever you want. Um, I, I think I was kind of lucky that I think that's probably one of the benefits of jumping straight into a startup rather than, you know, going getting a huge amount of experience in X, Y, Z and going back. Yeah, I'd say you kind of you skip the mundanity of, of working in, you know, a, a joint organization where you're just a, a cog in the wheel. And you when you start something yourself, you have a much uh, fresher outlook. Something that you touched on, Charlie, is that you, you kind of started the idea it, it began in college. So I'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts on this, considering that it did start as a, a college project. You know, many entrepreneurs often ridicule schools and colleges. I go back to the likes of Gary Vee. There's a few other people who talk about colleges as, uh, you know, it's a place where they fail entrepreneurs. They don't recognize entrepreneurs. Um, and maybe it's a little bit different in Ireland, but they're claiming they're more so a, a prerequisite for employees looking for, for jobs rather than those looking to, to build a business do you feel anything you've learned in college? I know you, you said you've done commerce, which I actually think is, is quite a good course. Do you think it's um it's helped you on your on entrepreneurial journey, any particular module? Or do you agree with the statement that uh, that schools and colleges aren't the best place for entrepreneurs? I think there's a few things here. I think the first thing to note is that I can only speak for the Irish experience because in the States, you know, if you're not really sure what you want to do and, and you're kind of racking up a 60, 100 grand college debt, you're really starting off in a negative place as a graduate. Um, you know, a lot of baggage. Um, whereas in Ireland, well, I, I can't, sorry, I can't even speak for the Irish experience. I can only speak for, for my experience. And I was lucky enough that my parents paid for my college. So, you know, I, I wasn't coming out of college burdened with debt. Um, so I think that's the first thing to note that uh, a lot of people shit on college. Um, because of the American system, and, and that's maybe fair enough. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, but no, I, I definitely see value in college. Um, I definitely see, you know, it. I definitely think I learned a huge amount in college, especially me. Like, you know, I was someone that was – see, I, I don't know how much I can put down to college and how much I can put down to just maturing in general. Like, I finished school, and I was a complete nutcase. Not a nutcase in school, but, like, I was, like – you know, I had no uh, interest in, in anything other than kind of just like partying and being with my friends and chilling out. Um, and, and college definitely matured me a little bit. It was the first time I kind of felt a bit of, uh, you know, responsibility and accountability. Um, but also the content, you know, as I said, like in my first year of college, I failed all my exams. But then when I actually started attending in the second semester, like I, I realized it. I had a realization that I actually am into that stupid, if you get me. I just never tried. Do you know what I mean? And then I also had a kind of realization that I love some elements of business. I hated this business in school because like I couldn't relate it to anything. But when you're like actually going into case studies and you're and you're presenting and, you know, you're going through kind of, you know, a lot of practical elements, uh, you know, I just enjoyed it a lot more. So just to answer your question, I know I'm probably going around in circles here. Um I think I think school is definitely a place uh, that creates unbelievable employees. I don't think there is anything entrepreneurial about school. And maybe that's just because like when you're, when, you know, things have to be rigid when you're trying to mark 60,000 exams a year, do you know what I mean? For the leaving cert. Um, I think even in college, like I think DIT, as I said, was extremely practical. 
there was a lot of presentations there was a lot of you know uh it just yeah it was just very practical whereas in ucd like i remember doing a you know an entrepreneurial module which was still just you know reading really big textbooks and you know writing about the theory of scale-ups and it just it's just not like it's just point like i think that's nearly pointless you know what i mean um it'd be great like it's probably a good uh intro to understanding if you want to be a vc or not but probably not it won't help you with actual entrepreneurship do you know what i mean yeah i had a i had a similar enough experience in college like the, the modules are good ucd is a fantastic college love the the lifestyle you kind of touched on there but i just i just couldn't relate any of it to the real world i was just looking to get out and just get in to to work and experiencing it case studies like you mentioned actually working in marketing sales getting an idea of how a business runs how the different departments of the business work together and so for me like it, it i didn't really not really clicked until I actually graduated and I started working. So I think there's tons of value for everyone in college, but I think knowing what the end goal is and having an idea of what the light at the end of the tunnel is, is very important in my opinion. Um, something that you've, you've touched on, I suppose, Charlie is, is like the, not the growing pains, but the different pieces of infrastructure you need to put into place when you're scaling now that you're running your own business, what has the talent acquisition side of things been like for Zip Mobility? How do you go about finding great people and, and leading them in such a way that, that it helps you to take your business to the next level? So the first the first thing you said there was about like, you know, the, the infrastructure I guess you need to scale. Um I think you said that, but like yeah, I think uh with that, like I think you really need to have your company strapped in before you go on that like explosive growth, if that makes sense. You know, I had the luxury of having, you know, twelve months full time. No, it was actually it was actually six hundred and twenty five days from uh the first business plan I put together to actually having a scooter on the ground. So I had all that time to prepare for every outcome possible, uh, which was good. But um yeah, I think like what I was talking about there about like structure on staffing and stuff, like if you're growing your team, like we've grown to twenty, you probably, you know, if everything goes well, hire, you know, maybe could be anywhere between 30 and 60 more people this year and uh you know we need to have the structures in place so we know where, when we're hiring people where exactly they're going where exactly they'll fit um, and i think you and having that will help you to identify who you need to hire as well you know what i mean um so yeah how have we gone about it i think so far like we've, we've been quite lucky like i suppose the first hire that i made was um a guy called Will O'Brien. He was uh, he's excellent. He he was just graduating from um from economics and finance uh in, in in UCD. He was actually still doing his exams. And I gave him a call and said, "Would you like to join Zip?" Um and after that, I suppose like we just have you know general. It sounds this is a boring story, I guess, but we just posted on LinkedIn. We put it on Indeed. We get all the applicants in. Um and we um. Yeah, and we just we we just go through normal processes. We always ask really funky questions. Uh, we always want to kind of understand the person, um, uh, more so than like their their answers. So what we've done so far is we've done interviews alongside, uh, you know, like tasks. So we might ask people to give a presentation and a, a two page brief. Now the reason we do that is so that we can see their PowerPoint and, and word skills, um, which are important, um. So that's kind of like the the entry level guys uh, on, on that, but we've we've hired a, a C or our UK general manager and our COO. Um, we're a little bit different, okay. So our our uh, our our UK general manager was 
uh, 23 years in IBM uh, and he came and joined the Zip team. And a lot of that was actually, it started out with him uh, commenting on my LinkedIn's and, you know, just interested in what we were doing and we got talking and, you know, uh, he was kind of, you know, in a place in his life where he was kind of looking for a career change or, or happy to explore other options. Um, and yeah, he, he just, he backed Zip and he backed our vision. And uh, I think it was really, really huge that, that he did that. Um, our COO, um, it's, this is actually a funny story. So our COO um, was the COO of a US scooter sharing company. And he was partnering with these researchers in DCU. His, his, his scooter sharing company was partnering with these researchers in DCU. So I was working in Dublin, um, obviously on scooter sharing. I wanted to bring it to Ireland. And right under my nose, this U.S. company swooped in and was working with these researchers in DCU. And I was pissed off that it wasn't me that was uh, that was there. So there was this big event about how they're partnering. So I attended the event, like, anonymously. And uh, I heard him speak at this event. And, you know, uh, he's like 50, 54, I think. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I suppose I messaged him on LinkedIn after me. And I was just at your event. I want to start a scooter sharing company here in Ireland or I'm working on it. Um, you know, let's touch base. So we went for a coffee. This was like this was about uh, just over a year ago. It was probably about thirteen months ago, and we went for a coffee, uh, and that just turned into like six pints and a couple of whiskeys, and uh, yeah, and then I suppose we just we just kind of hit it off. And he was kind of saying, oh, uh, he was kind of saying, look, you're here by yourself in Ireland. You should you should come to Texas and work for me. And I remember thinking, like Jesus, like you know. I'm kind of considering it, you know, he was like offering like decent money and he was like, come over to Texas and work for me. So I said, look, I'll think about it. Uh, I'm kind of working on my own thing. And about a month later, I sent him an email being like, you know, here, I'm staying put, I'm working on Zip. I'm not, you know, I'm not working for someone else. I'm going to do this. And uh, yeah, and then six months later, um, we kind of took off a little bit and we were in a position where I could then call him up and he was in Texas and I called him and I was like, how, how do you fancy moving your whole life here to Ireland? And, yeah, he he just said, yeah, let's do it again. Someone that was willing to move his whole life across from from Texas to to Dublin because he believed in what we were doing, and uh, yeah, he he set up our UK schemes very seamlessly, and um, and yeah, so we've got we look, we've got young guys that have the energy and the passion, and we've got the the grey matter as well, uh, and the older guys are kind of giving us good direction, and I think it's a a really really good combo having both the experience and and the passion passionate young lads and girls. It uh, it sounds like a, like you've got a solid mix, and I, I think that's really important to have a, a proper good team there, all on board with the mission statement, all all after the same goal. I love hearing that story as well about just going for a few points, like because people I think get so caught up in business and LinkedIn is it's such like a, a serious platform. It's it's everyone's so rigid on it in terms of that, like a social media platform. So to hear that, like at the end of the day, two lads went for a few points and decided or ended up working together in, in such a exciting company is I just love hearing stuff like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the industry, I suppose, you know, the urban mobility micro mobility industry it's not one that i know very well personally outside of yourselves i'm not aware of any other e-scooter brands offering similar services so you know i did see a lot of them around the place uh over in copenhagen i believe before they seem quite popular over there maybe europe adopted it central europe adopted it a little bit quicker than ireland like like some other things so you know clearly you'd know a lot more about the competitive landscape than myself but talk to us a little bit about that what do you feel that you're doing that your competitors aren't doing yet Okay, so okay, good question. So I, I first of all, I, as I said, like I was fascinated by this industry from the, from the get go. Okay, 
And what I mean by that is the first company to do this was set up by a, one of the VPs in Uber. He left Uber to start Bird, which was a scooter sharing company. Now, at the time, what that meant was he literally went to the equivalent of, you know, Halfords, bought, say, a thousand scooters, probably started out with actually like only a hundred and then very quickly went to like a thousand scooters and just threw them out in uh, in Santa Monica on the West Coast of America, put them out in the streets, never asked the council for permission, never did anything. Loads of people started using them. He ordered more. He put more out. Uh, and within two months, uh, Bird was valued at over a billion dollars uh, within two months of putting their first scooter out. Now, um, then after that, uh, in their first 12 months, they scaled into over 100 markets. Now, there was a, look, there's loads of problems with what they were doing. The fact that they weren't asking councils for permission. They were using gig economy workers to charge them, like obviously kind of, you know, exploiting these guys. But they were also they're paying them quite a good bit, though. So the unit economics for those companies weren't great. Um, the scooters were only lasting, you know, four or five weeks because they were just they weren't built for being left out in the range, you know. Um, so, yeah, there was lots of different issues. So that was like the first wave of scooter sharing. So massive, massive scale, pretty shit scooters not asking councils for permission. Uh, and that was like, it was reckless, but it was it was, uh, it was was what the investors wanted at the time. It allowed them to grow really quickly. The second wave of the scooter sharing industry, okay, was about a year later. And that's when companies like Voy and Tier, who are two European scooter sharing operators, saw what Bird and Lime were doing and said, okay, well, how can we improve this? Let's get permission in each market before we enter them, okay? So they would get go to councils and they would go through a formal uh, procurement process um, and they would, you know, actually tender for licenses and they'd win the licenses. And that was great. So they're asking councils for permission. Their scooters lasted a little bit longer, but they were still going for that world domination growth. They were still going for that, you know, 50, 60 markets per year. OK, so that was the second wave. Now, what we realize is we're the third wave and we see these uh, scooter sharing companies. We go, look, they've improved on the first wave. Uh, tier and Roy, but they still grow at a pace where they can't give each local authority the time they need to ensure a successful rollout of a scooter sharing scheme. They're still growing too fast, okay? And they're st- they still outsource all of their operations, so they don't do it in-house. They're not responsible or accountable for the operations. Um, so that's another thing. Look, there's a few different things. So I suppose what we do differently is we recognize that there are more stakeholders than just the customer. So there's the customer uh, who you need to keep happy. Secondly, there's the council that you need to keep happy and you need to continuously engage with them to make sure that you're rolling out the scheme the way that they want you to roll out the scheme. And then the third stakeholder is other vulnerable road users. So, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, there's elderly people like, you know, scooters are often misparked, causing trip hazards. Uh, They're terrible for people in wheelchairs because they block the footpaths. They're terrible for, uh, you know, people with visual impairments or elderly or whatever. So uh, we kind of recognize that there's three different stakeholders. So one of the things that we do is we have all of our operations in, in-house. So we employ every single person that charges and redistributes the scooters. Um, we've got, so that improves our unit economics, but also, you know, it, it means that we are held accountable for our operations and our emissions. The second thing is that we have what we call a sustainable growth model, where we're looking to get into kind of, you know, five to 10 markets uh, per year in the first instance. And then maybe that might grow to about 10 to 20 uh year on year after that and so that just means that we're growing at a pace that's you know scaling so keep you know keep ourselves happy keep the company healthy and it means we can still focus on profitability but we can also uh scale at a pace that we're keeping the councils happy as well um look yeah there's 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 tons of things uh that we're that we're kind of doing a little bit differently um 
and I could kind of bore you with it for ages. But um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's really really exciting at the moment um, to be in Zip and to be in this position. Uh, I think um, and sorry, just just one more thing to touch on that's kind of interesting is like you know is this third wave re- real? Like, are we making it up? Uh, absolutely not. Like we we were going up against you know uh, multi multi million and billion dollar companies. So you know, say I mentioned Tier there, their their uh, latest valuation was like over nine hundred million. Uh, Bird and Line both valued at like two point five billion a piece. Void just raised you know one hundred and sixty million. They've probably raised over six hundred million now. I'd say, um, and we were there with our three hundred k, which sounds sounds like a lot of money, but when you compare it to these guys, it's nothing. Uh, and we managed to secure the the third largest market share in in the UK. Like we have more scooters on the ground than Bird, who are and Lime, who are about two point five billion companies. Tier, who are a nine hundred million company, and then probably two or three other companies that have multi hundreds of million valuations. So we've done extremely well so far. Um, and look, we have a foothold in the UK market. That's great. We're going to grow that. We're going to grow our market share in the UK. But we do plan on on winning the Irish market. So legislation is changing in the next kind of three months here in ireland and uh yeah we we, we're not going to leave any stone unturned here we're going to hopefully take the whole thing you're mentioning like it's really really exciting to hear because i mean ireland always does seem to be a bit of a a late adopter but even just from hearing you obviously i know you've you've probably done plenty of pitches and stuff like that but you you can feel the passion in your voice and it's uh it's really interesting here but so it's it's very exciting it all sounds fantastic it can't have been uh plain sailing it can't have been that easy and you know often uh elon musk has been asked you know what's it like to start a business and he often quotes well it's like eating glass and staring into the abyss which i think is fairly funny but uh with that said you know have you ever had any moments where you thought shit like this isn't going to work or I should probably pack it in or focus on something else uh, and if so was there anything like what was it that convinced you to keep going what what kept you driven on the mission yeah like ab- absolutely like okay so there's there's a few things like when I said I started off zip um by myself I was actually with a mate of mine um and after about you know two months that mate was like here I'm starting my grad program I don't think this is going to work you know the stars have to align for the for, for this to actually come through and i was like fair enough like you know it's a huge risk so that's fair enough and and he uh he left and started his grad program and at that stage there was a real decision being like hey am i going to keep going taking on twice the workload here or am i just going to go into deloitte um and i kind of i i pretty much like there wasn't much of a decision there i kind of just said no i'm going to keep going going to keep going so i was making decent progress and then so just to go back, our, our plan, all right, was to launch and scale before the legislation changed uh, and before the UK market opened up. Our plan was to launch and scale on university campuses across Ireland. So university campuses were off of public roads. So you could actually launch scooter sharing schemes if the uh, campus agreed. So um, we had a contract with a large Dublin university and we had the contract over the line and then COVID happened and that fell through. And fell through kind of indefinitely as well. And it was kind of like I was in this position and we had investors lined up that said, if you get this contract over the line and you need to order scooters, uh, we'll fund it. Uh, But until then, we're not giving you any money. So that meant the funding fell through. That meant like, you know, I likely wasn't going to have a salary still for another, you know, six, nine, 12 months, who knows, till COVID was over. And uh, I remember just being like, fuck, like, I don't know. I don't really know what to do. Like, and, um, so I just distracted myself. I kind of I was working forty hours a week on Zip. I probably brought that down to thirty, brought it down to twenty, 
Uh, and the way I distracted myself was because COVID was bad, my, my family's in the hospitality business. I said to my dad, I'd set up a takeaway business for uh, his for his restaurant. Um, so I did that and I, you know, grew that and we were working with Feed the Heroes and we were doing like 2,000 meals a week when, when it was all closed up and a lot of it was all for charity pretty much. Um, and like that was busy and it was a great way for myself to, to kind of distract myself. And, and all of a sudden I realized I wasn't doing anything on the like I'm talking like four weeks where I didn't I didn't even open my laptop, and um, I knew I was just like av- avoiding if you get me, and um, I remember just having not a breakdown, but I remember just having like a, a moment where I was like, you know, what am I doing? Like you know, it's great that I set up a takeaway for my dad, but like you know, I've worked on this for nine months, and am I actually just going to let it slip? And I suppose you asked there like, what was the thing that made you keep going? And I remember the thing that I was particularly uh, fixated on was imagine giving up on this and then in two years time going into the city center and seeing thousands and thousands of Dubliners on you know bird or lime scooters and that was like the thing that like element of like potential future regret was uh was the thing that uh, made me kind of keep going and look Dublin's Dublin's not over the line yet like as in there's going to be 20 different people going for it but um at least whatever happens you know uh at least we'll be able to say we gave it our best shot. And uh, yeah, like I, I think like what well, what I said there a while ago as well, like, you know, we plan on taking the whole Irish market. Dublin's one market, it's the biggest one, but at the same time, like we plan to, to lead the Irish market, whether we've got Dublin or not. So, um, yeah. And you said the legislation is, is changing in a few months. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, sure. So I suppose the legislation right now, like e-scooters are falling into this gray area, whether they're mechanically propelled vehicles or mechanically assisted vehicles. It's pretty boring. I'm not going to go into it. Pretty much that means should we class them the same as motorbikes or should we class them the same as bicycles? So should they need tax insurance, be registered, or should they just like, should anyone be able to get on them? So there's no legislation at the moment. And uh, uh, Eamon Ryan is changing the Road Traffic Act uh, or making amendments to the Road Traffic Act, and one of the items in there is, uh, you know, to legislate for electric scooters. And um, the bill is still hasn't really come out yet. We're not a hundred percent sure, uh, you know, what that's going to mean. Uh, I don't imagine that helmets are going to be compulsory. I do imagine that um, there's going to be, you know, speed restrictions on electric scooters. Um, like right now, because there's no legislation, it's kind of like the Wild West. Like you've got scooters out there going sixty kilometers an hour, which is obviously reckless. So. And the legislation will will uh, regulate that and will make sure, you know make all scooters relatively safe you know or safe to uh, to to a point you know thirty kilometers an hour the same as a bike so um, at that speed scooters are as safe as bicycles so um, yeah so anyway so um, again I won't bore you with the details too much but um, that's going to be put forward before the end of the month hopefully and uh, the leg- primary legislation will be changed by probably the end of March and then secondary legislation will follow um and yeah i would imagine that people will be allowed to roam in dublin on e-scooters maybe in april or may and then probably a month following that or maybe a little bit more um the local authorities will then put out licenses to tender and so that means they will allow for electric scooter sharing schemes and they'll pick an operator um like and use it mobility as an operator just for like for those of you who might not know and so yeah i'd say i would i would be hopeful that uh we'd be you know, given permission to launch in Dublin probably in, in, in May or so. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the timeline we're working with at the moment. 
Totally, totally. It's it's definitely exciting times. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'll be keeping out keeping my eyes peeled for for news announcements. Um, I wanted to ask you just speak speaking of news announcements. I suppose the, the most recent uh, recent news article I saw with regards to yourself, Charlie. You know, one of the most recent headlines was for the appearance in, in the Irish Times release, and it was on fifty people to watch in 2021. I, I looked through some fantastic young talent in Ireland. It's, it's great to see, and it's it's diverse. The the list of people is across. You know, like acting people starting businesses tons of different uh different niches and you know i'd love to know just i suppose a little bit more in, informally what, what did that feel like you know seeing your face there among some fantastic young exciting names does that just like add more fuel to the fire does it feel more surreal how, how did it feel for you yeah like uh it's definitely it's definitely uh surreal yeah like um you know that list in particular like there was so many familiar faces in there uh so many amazing people so um yeah a bit of a uh, imposter syndrome kicking in when you see something like that and you're kind of like there's no way i should be there i'm such a scam if you get me but uh <laughs> yeah like it's uh it, it definitely is it's definitely great um i'm pretty sure i you know i had a few beers the night before and i woke up to see that so uh it was a bit of a surprise yeah but um yeah look it, it's 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 definitely weird I guess I'd say so. Yeah, I think the you, you might touch on it there, like the the imposter syndrome. I think every once in a while, I think everyone gets that. But it must have just been a moment of clarity where you were just like, "Yeah, I'm. I must be doing something right here." And I'd say it just got you even more excited for the year. Uh, but deadly, see, I'd fair play to you again, Charlie. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit more, I suppose, on your, your recent, I suppose, excursions, what you've been up to, round or raising the round of fun, and um, it's an interesting question. I think people would be interested to find the answer to. It's a question in. in relation to the funding i suppose something i'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with is the the tv show you touched on dragon's den a lot of people would know shark tank from the states and the show involves small medium sometimes large businesses looking for capital to grow to business um the irish equivalent is the dragon's den which i'm, I'm surely uh i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with they've seen on rte and um, how would you compare the actual real life process of, of going and raising funds for the business versus how it's portrayed in those kind of tv shows Oh, wouldn't it be excellent if it was like that? Like, it would be absolutely excellent if it was like that. Um, but the reality is, like a lot of times, you know, a fundraising round will take, you know, six to nine months. Like, well, it hasn't for us. Like, we've been, we've we've had a lot of quick movers um, on the funding side. But, uh, yeah, like I, I suppose the pitch is very similar. It's probably a little bit less. Well, I, I would say it's equally as passionate, but less dramatic, if that makes sense. Um, it's uh, it's not a million miles from it. It's just it's just the time it takes. So like we make that pitch, um, you know, on on day one, and you know someone might be interested, but there's about a million different follow ups after that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, they need to know every single thing. It's not just about like no one's going to give you money with just you know a fifteen minute chat or a twenty minute chat. Even even those actual shows, I'm pretty sure they go on for you know seven eight hours before they make an offer, but. But, you know, seven, eight hours is still absolutely nothing compared to, you know, the due diligence that actual investors will be looking for. Um, like, you can't pull the wool over any investor's eyes. Like, you need to, like, if you've got any holes or gaps in the business, like, you'll be exposed, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, in Shark Tank or, or Dragon's Den, like, you, you can uh, you can kind of wing it a little bit. Um, and you need to really, you can't, I if I was an investor, like, I just don't think you could believe in a founder. You couldn't really buy into a founder in that short period of time. 
Like I think half of the time that's needed to uh to to get investment is also the founder and the investor kind of getting to know each other a little bit as well. Um, you know, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's what, yeah, that's what I think. I guess. Yeah, makes sense. I suppose one thing that I saw recently was that of everyone that got the cash on the TV, like on Dragons Den, over fifty percent of them the deal fell apart after the due diligence, after they had a look at the financials, after they had a look at the legal side of things, which is just interesting. So it kind of goes, it, it's the same as what you're saying there. You, you're touching on like, you know, making sure you have all your ducks in a row. Now investor is just going to commit after a couple of hours. So like, what kind of advice would you have for someone? Let's say they're at that stage now, they're looking to raise capital and, and scale the business. Would it be to just make sure you have everything set or would there be any other bit of insight you'd, you'd be able to give? So yeah, probably the biggest thing. Well, look, there's 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 loads of things, I suppose. Um, like having your your your, making sure the opportunity in your business is big enough. So like that is the biggest like shut door. Uh, that I would see like if you're trying to start a business and the opportunity just isn't big enough. Like the best case scenario, you got the best people in the world, uh, and you grow to the 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 fullest extent, and it's still less than what an investor would like. And uh, that's probably like, it's probably one thing I, I would say, depends who, you, who you're talking to and depends who the investors are. Maybe they're not looking for, you know, VC kind of growth, hockey stick growth, but uh, by and large, um, that is one thing that's quite limiting. Really, really deeply understanding your market is probably the best advice I could give to anyone. Uh, it's the best advice I could give to anyone, especially when they're young. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if, like one thing that a lot of people ask me is like, you know, how did you raise investment when you have no experience in X, Y, Z, you know? Um, but there is no one else in Ireland with more experience in scooter sharing or, you know, there's no one in Ireland with with experience in scooter sharing, you know? So I just deeply understand the scooter sharing market. I understand like what's going to be coming down the tracks in two years, five years, whatever it might be. But understanding your industry, um, means that you know age is kind of taken out of the equation if that makes sense um so just being really really well educated on that is is extremely important and and that's the only way you can truly see if your business idea is is worthwhile and if it can you know keep up with the market um is if you really understand the industry and you have a good idea about where it's going um so yeah there, there are a few different things it's fairly obvious even just from this quick chat that you've just immersed yourself in the industry that you've been looking at the trends for a long time um and you're dead right i think age does go out the window when it comes to just doing that and immersing yourself in the business um sorry to put you on the spot there as well it's a difficult question asking for advice but uh so based on how things are panning out you're touching on on growth projections and things like that and you've definitely experienced some incredible growth in in the last while um when it comes to zip mobility what's the end goal if you have an end goal how far do you want to take this mm. yeah it's 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 gas it's gas when people ask this like a lot of people ask it and it depends on like what that person wants like if you get as in like so like investors ask you because they want to know like how much money they get back and yeah you know, whatever but Is like an exit? yeah like but obviously there's an exit like this so there's there's consolidation in the market at the moment okay so we've seen a huge amount of, it, this this industry is like four years old and it's year four of what I would consider a hundred or a two hundred year industry. Like this is not going away, and already you're seeing the likes of you know bird acquiring companies, tier acquiring companies, like uh, companies announcing that in the next couple of years it's in their strategy to, strategy to acquire some of the smaller operators. 
Uh, and the reason behind this is because of these licenses. So the way it works, for example, right? So we operate in uh, Taunton, Aylesbury, High Wycombe, and we have exclusivity in every single market we enter. So the only way any big operator can get into those markets is if they buy Zip or they wait for our license to go up. So that's why there's going to be pretty heavy consolidation, I would imagine. Well, it's one of the reasons. Um, but yeah, so where do I want to bring this? I suppose um, I have this number of, of, of 10,000 scooters in my head. Um, so I would like to roll out 10,000 scooters in the next few years. Um, depending on how well we do, that might be you know two and a half years, that might be five years, it might be 10 years. Um, but I, I think it would be probably closer to the middle one there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I want to take this. I I'd imagine ourselves being global. Like I want to be in at least three continents. Um, one thing that I said the other day was, you know, there's been a good few U.S. operators bringing scooter sharing companies to Europe. I want to be the first European operator to bring a scooter sharing company to the U.S. Uh, I'd like that as well. Like now, look, there's nothing in our immediate immediate growth plans for the states. Um, but it's we are exploring our options there at the moment, and we are talking to local authorities over there. So, um, hopefully, you know, a few things might come our way, and and uh, that might be yeah in the kind of one two year plan. But we'll see, we'll see. I think no matter what happens, I'll be following the journey very closely. It's it's certainly a it's a mad industry, and and I want to ask you, I suppose, a bit of a, a selfish question. Like I'm a bit of an investor myself. Sam's not here today. Give it to me if I didn't ask this. You've got the foresight to be looking at this new emerging industry that hasn't even existed in Ireland. Like you said, it's only four years old or so. I wanted to ask you if, like, stick your investor hat on. Are there any emerging industries, any any new type of technology that you've got your eye on that you'd expect to grow in the next five, ten years? Five, ten years. Okay, so five, ten years. I Like, if I was going to invest, I suppose I'd probably have to invest in in micro mobility or like I'd, I'd like to invest in something that i know a lot about if that makes sense um what's going to happen in the industry i think um i think there's going to be new vehicles uh i think there's going to be i, th- I think one thing that's going to change in the industry micro mobility is here to stay and i said that and you know we're in year four of a hundred year industry but in a hundred years i don't think it's going to be electric scooters um you know if if what i imagine from micro mobility is something as comfortable as a BMW, you know, I'm talking air conditioning, maybe leather seats, something really comfortable, but fits in a bike lane, you know? And, and I think uh, like single file maybe can hold multiple people, but I would, I, I think that's where kind of the industry is going. I think that once you get that comfort bit right, you will actually solve congestion and you will get modal shift. Like, you know, scooters are great and they're great crack, but if you're going any journey further than, you know, uh, any journey like seven kilometers, you'll probably be looking at an e-bike and, um, you know, then that only takes you to maybe, well, I suppose that takes you pretty far. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably way, the way the industry is going right now. Like there's a few other interesting things going on. Well, obviously, you know, if you look at, say, Mana Aero, drone delivery, like I think that's absolutely fascinating as well. I think drone delivery is insane. Uh, 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 yeah, Bobby, yeah. And they're savage. The Collison's just invested in them. Um but uh, I also like the idea of, now I don't know, this will probably be a while before it catches on, uh, like properly catches on in cities, but uh, autonomous redistribution for micromobility. So uh, the idea that, so one of our biggest costs is our, is our ops costs. Okay. So uh, if I ride a scooter from Grafton Street and I ride it the whole way out to UCD, it's likely that the next morning we'll need that scooter back at Grafton Street. So 
we have employees that go out and pick them up and bring them to Grafton Street in our electric vans. Um, but what's really interesting and it's starting to emerge in the States, like this trial is going on, is the idea of autonomous scooter redistribution. So uh, the scooter will actually make its way from UCD back to Grafton Street, if that makes sense. Um, and you can make it, like it's got little uh, like tricycle wheels. So like it can actually scoot itself back, which is kind of slick. Um, so yeah, that's kind of an interesting one as well. Wireless charging for micro mobility as well. So you know we've got parking bays in every market we enter. The idea of um, these parking bays having wireless chargers, you know, in the ground is is kind of slick as well. Like it's a big cost for us. We have to send people out to uh, swap out the battery packs in the scooters. Uh, we've got swappable batteries. Um, but I think uh, yeah, that's another thing that could be kind of slick as well. If the pro- I, I don't know if that will ever get. Uh, you know, viable from a, from a financial standpoint because it, it's heavy infrastructure. But yeah, a few different things like that. Now, in terms of companies, I would invest in. I probably uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't like to say just because uh, I'd be afraid of. Yeah, I, I, maybe maybe I'll leave that one out. But that's where I see the trend going, and that's where I'd put the money. Yeah, it's it's so interesting here because you've obviously got your your ear well and truly to the ground, and you're already looking at different ways technology improvements can facilitate the growth of the company, and it's it's just deadly to hear. I can't wait to see how everything pans out over the next while, specifically when uh, when we see start seeing them more in uh, in Dublin. Um, I won't keep it too much longer, Charlie. Just have, have one more question, really, that I like to ask everyone. We're coming just up towards the hour mark. Um, yeah, so I, I like to ask all of our guests. I don't know if you're a big reader. It, it's fine if you're not. I mean, I'm just quite a big reader myself. Absolutely love books. So I wanted to ask if, if perhaps there's a book that you've read in the last few years that maybe you'd, you'd give to your younger self, one that would give you more of an insight or set of tools to get from A to B a little bit quicker. Yeah, and if so, is there a particular book that comes to mind? Again, sorry to stick you on the spot, but uh, would there be anyone that you think of? No, you're okay. Uh, it's actually, I'm actually weirdly like, and I, I know it, Maybe I should. Depends, depends on who, who. Some people probably think I should be embarrassed and some think I shouldn't, but uh, I just don't really read that much at all. Like, I read news, I read whatever. I just don't really read books. Um, You know, I read books that, like, well, like, unless it's, like, really uh, direct, like, and tangible, like, the benefit would be tangible, like, I don't really read. So, say, for example, the last book I read was uh, The Art of Startup Fundraising, and I can't even remember who wrote it, but, like, that's something like, you know, I'm about to head into a fundraising round, I should probably uh, yeah, push up a little bit. Value straight away. Yeah, but like, as in, you know, I'd be, I think the How I Built This podcast, I love that. I'm not sure if you know about it, Guy Raz, um, How I Built This. It's like, literally, and I don't know if it's, if it's because I'm so interested in startups and kind of passionate about that, but like, I actually get goosebumps at every single episode. So I would definitely check that out. Um, it just gets you really excited about Start businesses, you know, that have all the best entrepreneurs in the world on it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's excellent. Deadly, deadly. I'm just looking at it now how about this guy, Raz. I'll have a look at that. And so, what kind of uh, resources is is it podcast? Do you, do you like listening to audio? Is there any newsletters or anything that you follow like that? Um, yeah, like I, I, I you know, I, list, I obviously follow, uh, I follow Sifted, uh, which is like a European tech newsletter and uh, Morning Brew, things like that. Uh, a couple of micro couple of micro mobility ones as well just to kind of keep myself in tune but uh you know i i actually get most of my my micro mobility information from linkedin um if i was starting a business tomorrow and if i was anyone looking to start a business tomorrow first thing i do is get onto everyone in the industry and follow them on linkedin get onto every company that's relevant to your company follow them on linkedin 
So, you know, if, say, for example, uh, you know, Bird bring out some new facial recognition technology, I'll know about it within the hour. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I think it just means that you know exactly what's going on in the industry. And through that, right, you see, like, you might follow Bird or Tear, and then you see someone commenting on it, and it's someone that's fanatic about the industry. Uh, and then you touch base with them, and you can link up with them, and it's a great way to network. It's a great way to, yeah, it's just a great way to really, really dig yourself into an industry is to go onto LinkedIn and follow every single thing and every single person that's relevant. Um, so yeah, that's probably where I get like a huge amount of my uh, information about the industry itself. Cool. Good stuff. Well, sure. That is, that's, we've covered plenty there today, Charlie. And I just want to ask you then lastly, uh, for everyone listening, where can they go to find out a little bit more about Zip Mobility? Um, I'd say you can head over to my LinkedIn, Charlie Gleason, uh, or Zip Mobility's LinkedIn, um, or our Instagram, which is also Zip Mobility, Z-I-P-P Mobility. Um, they, yeah, they're probably the best places to, to find us. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out um, if you have any questions, if you're interested in entrepreneurship and, and you kind of want to bounce anything off me, uh, always happy to do it. Um, so yeah, thanks a million for having me on, Gavin. Really appreciate it. Ah, Dale, not a pleasure's all ours, Charlie. Thanks again for speaking with us today. And for everyone tuning in, listening, thanks for listening. And uh, yes, we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Kickstart Garage. This show is for entertainment purposes only. This show is for entertainment purposes only. No one on the show has provided investment advice. The information provided by the Kickstart Garage podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The opinions and views expressed on the Kickstart Garage podcast or those of the participants do not reflect those of the host or sponsors. The Kickstart Garage, its producers, sponsors, hosts and guests shall not be liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based upon the opinions or viewpoints presented on the Kickstart Garage.